0: Mate, this is going to be awesome. It's nice a to come this, Hit him, hit him. It's more than just a hobby, it's who we are. God, oh. hmm. Cracker, that's why we hunt. Welcome to the Educated Hunter podcast. Hey guys, given the fact that we're all stuck at home, not doing a hell of a lot, uh, we decided that now would be a great time to launch an initiative that we were planning on launching later on this year, but given everyone's got a bit of extra time on their hands, we figured no better time than the present. You would have heard us mention a lot on this podcast um, about how passionate we are about, I guess, the state of mental health in New Zealand. Particularly within our community. Um, it's not in great form, be fair to say. It's a kind of a shameful record, if I'm honest. And we've talked about it for a bit, and it's finally time for us to get off our asses and try and do something constructive. So, what we've come up with is the following idea we want to make a recipe book for hunters and gatherers the content of that recipe book will be submitted by you, hunter and gatherers in our community. So if you've got a recipe, be it for venison, seafood, um, anything that you can hunt and gather in New Zealand, and it's you know your go-to recipe or something a bit special, you can submit it along with some photos, and we are going to choose the best of those recipes to put into our recipe book, we will, at this stage, do an online ebook copy, which will be cheaper, as well as a hard copy, which will cost a little bit more, um, and then 100% of those proceeds, so all of the profit we are going to donate to a mental health charity here in New Zealand. So the idea is to build a recipe book for hunter and gatherers by hunter and gatherers to benefit our community of hunter and gatherers, in a nutshell. So again... Any recipe that you have that you think others would enjoy that you're prepared to donate to the cause, we've made a real simple submission form on our website. If you go to theeducatedhunter.com and just click on the tab that says Hunter Gatherer recipe book, there you'll find a um, submission form, just fill it in, it's your name, address, well not address, name, phone number, email address, uh, as well as the recipe itself, Uh, once you've done that you submit it you need to go to your emails confirm your email address that email often will end up in your junk folder so if you don't get it right away check your junk folder confirm your email address so we can then ask for some photos if you've got some really good images of the recipe um, gathering the recipe out there with friends and family we want the recipe book itself to be full of images that represent us as hunters and why we do what we do, and gatherers and fishermen, whatever it might be. So get on the website, have a read of what we're trying to do there, submit a recipe, get involved, and um, you can also pre-order a copy of it as well so we can sort of see, start to get an idea of um, how many people are going to get behind us. Anyway, I hope you enjoy the podcast, cheers. G'day everyone, welcome to this week's episode of the Educated Hunter Coming from you mid-COVID lockdown I hope everybody out there is managing to keep yourself busy um, Keep yourself entertained in some way Uh, I imagine I'm not the only human on earth who's suffering Given the fact that we are mid-red raw and most of us are housebound But that's life, you get that on the big jobs Uh, Let's all hope there's some big red deer running around next year that um, are going to make it through the season, given there's not as many hunters out in the mountains. On that note, this week's episode is with Mr. Chris McCarthy. Chris is a professional guide outfitter based in New Zealand. He runs Lake Hawea Hunting Safaris, so he does that for half the year or more than half the year and then he also has got extensive experience over in North America guiding we don 't talk too much about that in this episode. We concentrate primarily on red deer, Red stags and his neck of the woods, Otago red stags and Then the conversation drifts through red deer management and the scenario that we have in New Zealand and a few ideas around how we could potentially bolster up the resource that we have so if you 're missing the roar and you wish you 're out there hunting red stags, I know this is no substitute, but It'll at least let you immerse yourself, daydreaming about trophy red stags, for the next hour or so as you listen to this episode. So, without further ado, here is Mr. Chris McCarthy. Beauty, we're underway. Thanks for taking the time. I know it's a relatively early morning for a Friday, but <laughs> what are we now? It's uh, is it Friday? Not too early, seven thirteen. Yeah, not too bad. Yeah, it's uh, fairly quiet here just now, but uh, obviously it's. Uh, all set to build up. Walked walked in this morning. I was here at like 20 past six. I got a Uber with some dude from Zimbabwe and uh, I had to, someone had wedged the door open with a chair so I had to hop the chair to get into the other hall to go and find my podcasting gear because I'd left it in another booth. I was a bit worried <laughs> I was going to get it in time so I was here super early this morning. Oh, perfect. So Chris is guide outfitter at Lake Hawe hunting safaris. Would that be a fair statement? That would be a fair statement for sure. Um, and how long can you give me some a bit of a background on your safari company or your outfitting company? When did that all come about? Yeah, sure. So, uh,
1: we've been operating now um, 14 seasons, <coughs> doesn't seem like that long, but um, yeah, 14 years um, ago, I took over the, the company from a guy named Dave McDonald, mm-hmm. He was a, uh, you know, well respected free range operator. Yep. Um, I guess, yeah, I always wanted to get into the, into hunting somehow or make a living from hunting somehow. I didn't really know how to begin with. Um, my parents first took me out to meet a guy named John Fleming at Lake Hawir, mm-hmm. who's a well-known, um, <clears throat> deer colour and, um, contractor for Doc. Okay. He sort of sat me down and said, well, Chris, the days of Doc employing colours and, um, Hunters are, are basically over. Mm-hmm. It's all now contracted out. So I thought, okay, well, that's, that line <clears> there's <throat> probably dead, so I'll go and look for another one. Yep. Um, and then, yeah, went through school and ended up <coughs> doing three years um, pest control work with a friend of mine's father yep. down in northern Southland, basically TB contracts, um, poisoning and trapping possums. Yep. So, um, yeah. So that was a good way for a young fella to get out in the hills and make some money. Um, then from them, I sort of thought about things, you know, what, uh, what's way in here or, you know, what's, what's a way I can get in on my own. And, um, <clears throat> you know, I had this sort of revolutionary idea, I guess, at the time that I'd, I'd start a website. <laughs> so this was, um, this was before social media and, and Facebook and, and things like that. And at the time there was, I, I believe it may still be operating, but, uh, a website called uh, Fish and Hunt in New Zealand, right? where people used to... Like a forum type be, deal. Yeah, a forum type yeah. deal, and there were a lot of members on there, and I mean, there were some really good discussions going on, some not so good as yeah, well. Yeah. <laughs> I think that still exists, That's the not the so internet. good side of things, yeah. yeah. But um, yeah, he was really the only, uh, it was run by a guy called Alan Simmons, and he was really the only guy that was, that was doing that in New Zealand, so I thought, well... Um, you know, I think I can can possibly do something here and start my own deal, so I did, and the name of the website was called Wild Hunts, and yeah, it basically involved me putting photos, videos and articles, I quite like to pen an article, of my own hunts on the internet for for people to (coughs) see and read about and, and watch, and um it went reasonably well and then we opened a forum side of things as well and we had uh, I think six hundred and fifty members there on the forum and they were chatting and yeah. talking about hunting experiences and that was sort of when Jamie Carr was hunting all those big require stags and you know, there were some really good hunters on there putting some interesting
0: some good stuff
1: up. stuff up. Um But I kinda hit a a, a point where I was like, Man, I'm dedicating a lot of time and some money here and it's basically producing me nothing. Mm-hmm. So the idea was to go for a subscription-based website.
0: You're a man before your time. Basically,
1: basically yeah. where people would, would pay a small fee uh, for the privilege of seeing what I've been up to, basically, yeah. which at that time involved a lot of tar and shimmy hunting on public land. Um, and we did get some subscribers, um, not a lot, and I got to the point, well, you know, maybe I should just open this up, make it free, and try and sell advertising. Mm-hmm. So we did that, and that was, you know, I guess anyone that's ever tried to uh, to sell advertising knows how difficult that can be, especially when you're a start-up company. Yes. You're preaching to the <laughs> choir, brother. <laughs> so, look, in the end, I was, I was a little bit at a crossroads with where to go with it. <clears throat> And I took a phone call one evening, just right out of the blue, hit me, total blindside. And um, I'll never forget the phone call. The guy on the other end rang and said, "G'day, it's Dave McDonald here. I'm effed. I've got cancer. Do you want to buy my business?" <laughs> 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 that was it. And Pretty I, straight I was to like, the point. Well, You know, geez, Dave, I'm, I'm sorry. No, no, no. Just think about it. Give me a call back. Yeah. Thought about it that night, ring him back the next morning, and um, I didn't really even know Dave. I'd listed his business on my website, and I thought he was ringing me to school me about that. Right. I knew a little bit of him um, at the time. I was doing a lot of hunting with, with uh, George Manson. And Sam Manson and Steve, the Manson boys all together Yep And they knew Dave really well um, So I knew a little of him that way And anyway, yeah, I went around and met him the next day And I, I guess the rest is history
0: Yeah, well, was 13 years ago, 14 years ago That was the end of 2006 Shit Right, and how long have you been coming to this show? Obviously we're in... Well not obviously for everybody listening, we're in Reno. <laughs> yeah. It's pretty obvious to us, but everybody else we're in Reno Nevada at the SCI show. So have you been coming here for a while? No,
1: this is only our second year here. Right. Um, same as Dallas. It's you know, it's been a long term goal as as part of our marketing plan basically to be able to afford to to come and market at these shows. And yep. we're really, <clears throat> you know, only just in recent years in a position where we can do that. And we knew that uh, once we committed, we need to be able to be able to sustain it here, you know, and yeah. develop a presence. So, um, you know, we had to, write, uh, to wait till the timing was right.
0: Yeah, and it's a it's a job. Like getting in the front door is one thing, but then you got to. It's all based on a stroking each other's back. Who gives what? How many donations you give? How many preference points you give? Where you end up in the whole scheme of things. So it's a as you get your foot in the door you've got to sort of slowly work your way into the whole thing and once you're in you want to want to stay in it's a it's an interesting setup i do not um envy you guys having to physically exhibit that these things it can't be a a cheap thing to sustain you know coming all the way from new zealand storing your booth for a year moving from here to dallas or to vice versa
1: um yeah just to, to roll back there you, you know you said work your way and it's it's basically buy your own, own. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and if you can't afford to do that you're not going to be here or you're not going to last so like yeah. I say that's why we were very deliberate <laughs> deliberate
0: and, and cautious to um, <clears throat> to get the timing right yep um, yeah so, so as far as Lake aware, <clears throat> um and it's part of the reason I'm sitting here to be honest but sure. what sort of differentiates you from some of the other um, outfitting companies from New Zealand that might be here well sure really there's one thing and
1: that's <clears throat> that we're still um, willing is not I guess one word you might use to describe it, able um to offer a genuine free range stag hunt. Yeah. Um you know, right from the start of you know, I was obviously I've been a, a member of the Professional Hunters Association now for a long time. Um I've been on the executive of our professional hunters association for 10 years i know everyone in the industry now i've traveled to meetings here there and everywhere with with different people and and taken advice and listened and um, one of the best best one of the pieces of advice i got from from one operator sitting in a car was you know chris you can have all your ideals and and do what you want to do but at the end of the day you become a slut to the industry yeah and you need to give it what it wants. Yeah. I thought, well, okay, that's that's fair enough. But I don't want to. I don't want to sell my soul either. I still need to be who I am mm-hmm. and do what I believe in. And I, I, I guess if you'd ask me, did I stick to that now? I'd say um, we're a, we're in a blend.
0: Yeah, you're a hybrid.
1: Yep. We've we've had to do uh, what we've needed to do to be successful and be in business, but at the same time. We're still offering some of those hunts that
0: get me excited. Yeah, and I mean to be honest, you know, and, and for those of you those listening out there who follow who you are on on Instagram um, or know your business, the free range red stags that you do harvest on a seasonal basis are quite special, and they are what you know any kiwi would consider to be a trophy. You know, well, ninety nine point nine nine percent of kiwis, I imagine, would consider to be a trophy. Um, and they are very impressive animals which are the result of correct me if I'm wrong, a sort of a long period of um conscious management. Yeah, correct. Um
1: yeah, so the yeah, the the, the people we're working with or the landowners we're working with are um how would I describe them? You know, uh, a lot of foresight. Um, smart people, good people. Uh, success to any relationship is in business is is working with good people, right? Yeah. You know, I hear some people go on and oh, you know, I'm working with 26 different properties or whatever. I'm like, oh my God, that must be a headache. <laughs> <laughs> I'd rather work with two or three people who I know and trust, know we're on the same page, and know we're all heading in the right direction, yep, the same yep. direction. But yeah, back back to the stags. It's um, yeah. So we've been hunting this new area now. This will be. Uh, I've been hunting Otago stags since 2009 offering yep. them anyway on a, yep. on a guided basis. Had this new area since 2015, is it? No, 2017 we did our first season there. And it's it's been the the making of us in a lot of ways. Yep. Uh, exceptional stag area. Genuine Otago genetics and I mean a lot of people will not understand what that is, but you know, in New Zealand we don't actually just have a red deer, we have well our area anyway was predominantly settled by Scottish people. Yeah. So they reached back to their homeland when they got to New Zealand. Well they got to New Zealand, looked around in the hills and went
0: I know what's missing. <laughs> some <laughs> what? gorse <laughs> some broom and a few deer. Yeah. We're
1: all the game animals. I mean, what are we gonna what are we gonna hunt for sport and what are we gonna put in the pot? So so yeah, they reach back to Scotland and that's 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 so that's what our where our deer, deer originate from, Dalhousie, Scotland. Um and yeah, they're a genetically unique herd. Yeah. Um which, you know, some of the guys in Canterbury might argue the the require herd were 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 better renowned, but I think that's flawed. I think even the early trophy hunters understood that the those Otago deer were were the animals to hunt, you know, and, and even as early as you know, I think definitely the very, very early 1900s, um, hunters were making the arduous sea voyage all the way from Great Britain to come and hunt Otago stags in the Lake Highway region. Wow. So I guess we're kind of continuing that tradition today.
0: I love all that history. Is it, is it written down somewhere, all that stag stuff?
1: Yeah, there's a, there are different books, and people are great because they see, they see what we're doing, and they're like, oh, Chris, have you read this book, or... And it turns up in the mail. or well, have you yeah. seen this article? And it's nice to um to build a you know a bit picture. And you can see the trophies we're taking now, and you can look back at, at some of those early trophies. And you know like, what, those two deer are definitely related. Yeah, that's, that's cool. That's his great 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 granddaddy or, or whatever, which is which is cool. Um, yeah. So a lot of history. Um, you know they're genetically unique deer they're not just a red deer they're not just a new zealand deer they're not just a south pacific deer whatever you want to call them
0: they're an otago red deer yeah and that's and that's really cool and i think we'll touch on that point again because you know you've um part of this discussion i wanted to have with you is some um you know i had a conversation with don hammond yesterday which we talked a little bit about the sort of herds of special interest and all that kind of thing and i think that the new zealand red deer story is a a really cool one and something that as Kiwis we should be proud of. In your own backyard you've got red deer and they're going to have their own origin story and I think that's something that you know people should get more invested in. But we'll talk about that in a little bit. Okay, cool. Back to your, um, I guess what I want to talk about a little bit is, is two things. Firstly can you give me a summary of what management looks like on that property? So what techniques and principles have they used to ensure that they have a a healthy trophy herd mm-hmm. and then the second part of that is I want to talk a little bit about judging and how what your process is to ascertain what is a trophy, what is a mature stag all that kind of stuff so sure. first up the uh, management side of things
1: Okay well it's basic principles it's not rocket science um, first of all You've got to have the right genetics. Yeah. Whether that's in a game park situation, free range, whatever. I mean, you cannot produce top trophies out of the wrong blood.
0: No, you can't that's, turn dog shit into hunting, unfortunately.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no. No, you can't. So <clears throat> so give that a tick because that's already there. Yeah. First class genetics. Yeah. Uh, the second thing, um, uh, was stopping the 1080 poisoning of rabbits with Carrot, 1080 Carrot. used right. to get scattered out everywhere out of the aircraft. <clears throat> Obviously, uh, you know, areas in Otago have, have massive rabbit problems, but they stopped that and um, shot rabbits out of the helicopter. Right. they still actively doing that? Uh, yeah, but, I mean, they're down now at a level where <clears throat> it's just little tiny mop-up operations. it's right. just keeping on top of them. They've won that battle. So that, w- that was a big one. Obviously, as a deer, as we all know in New Zealand, will eat 1080, whether it's pellet form, carrot form, you name it, and they eat enough of it, they'll die.
0: Yeah, and it's not a pretty experience for anyone involved.
1: Again, so again, not rocket science. Stop throwing poison on the mountains. Yep. So we're uh, doing that on our managed private properties, although the government can't quite work that one out in the public
0: land yet. But no, no, we won't <laughs> go down that rabbit hole.
1: <coughs> <laughs> anyway, so that, that's... Um, that okay there's these two principles there, and then um I guess like you apply the trophy hunting principle of you've shot a stag um now let's look for a better one, yeah, let's okay, well, I know I shot that stag as a twelve pointer, what would have happened if I left him another two years, and that was the sort of thinking. In this area, and are the management applied, and and uh, I mean, again, it's not rocket science. So basically, over a span of twenty-five to thirty years, gone from an area where, in uh, over a weekend, you might see <clears throat> four or five deer, mm-hmm. to now in the morning, free range in the wild, you may see a hundred deer. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, uh, basically, right genetics, stop the poisoning.
0: Feed them and let let them grow.
1: Let the herd build. Yeah. I mean, fairly simple.
0: I mean, it's, it is a very simple, I mean, management gets tricky if you, like you say, you're trying to take a genetic, improve the genetics of a herd. Mm -hmm. That's a really difficult thing to do because, you know, if you're shooting based on what the antlers look like. That's, um, you know, there's a lot of controversy around that side of thing and, you know, there's plenty of people willing to pipe up and talk about it on social media. <laughs> but if you're shooting for it, you know, what an antler structure looks like, that's great, but you're forgetting that half the population or over half of the population in a lot of cases are females and you can't tell what genetics they have. So the only way you're ever really going to change the... Um, baseline genetics of an area is basically to start from scratch and in New Zealand it's hard to do that because we always you know you clean deer out of an area you know what happens is the feed comes back and more deer move into an area so it's harder to keep them out than it is to you know keep them in In a lot of cases so starting and re scratching a genetic baseline is a hard thing to do. Well
1: and in a free range situation it's an illegal thing to do. Absolutely. It's, it's a criminal act thing. to release wild deer, so you cannot do it.
0: Yeah, not legally. So many have tried, many have failed, and it's kind of a a different thing. So the advantage you have, obviously, like you've stated, is you're starting with a good genetic baseline, and at that point it's really not rocket science. Like, if they've got pinia tucker and you let them grow old enough, then, you know, you're going to get trophies. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So...
1: Yeah, yeah. just sort of got to be a little bit careful. I don't, don't want to <laughs> give away any of our little wee secrets. But, um, yeah. yeah, so obviously now we have a phenomenal <clears throat> free-range Red Stag resource, which, yeah. I mean, I don't think I'm speaking out of school saying it's it, 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 it's the best free-range Red Stag resource in New Zealand. Yeah. <clears throat> I can put my hand on my heart and honestly say that. Um it's a privilege to be operating there. Yep. Um, we treat it as a privilege. I remind my guides, my helpers, my clients that it's a privilege to be yep. here. Um, and, you know, like I say, we have, a, we have a great relationship with our landowners, and that's key. Yeah. It's absolutely key. They're Good. always, you know, checking in with their clients, seeing how we're going. You know, can we? is there something we can do better? Can we help here? It's not your average... Kiwi free range operation when you turn up at the farm gate and there's a thousand clients. <laughs> yeah and the farm goes oh there's heaps of them out there just go for it. Yeah, It's like turn up there oh I've seen a 14 over here I've seen a 16 here I've seen two big 12s in there I've seen this that and it's like it's a, yeah. It's a, it's a
0: team. Yeah that's, that's really cool and I mean it's, I'm just assuming that they're running it as a farming operation as well and I've seen and hunted on lots of free range Properties in new Zealand where the the farming and the outfitting or the hunting free range hunting stuff is not run as a one cohesive operation, and they tend to butt heads in it you can't you can do both, but you can't um do both by ignoring one each other like you can't just let it go. it doesn't work like that
1: yeah but the key the key thing and why those other operations don't work is because those free range animals aren't valued enough, yeah. So, uh, look, we're paying for sure, our relationship, we're paying a premium, yep. but that gives those wild deer a value. Yep. It gives the landowners a reason for them to be there. Yep. They're a viable um, income stream. Income stream. And, sorry, it's not just the trophies, not just eight to ten trophy stag shot each year, but it's also the surplus hinds that are culled,
0: uh, boxed and sold. Yeah. I mean, it's it, it all works. Yeah. It, it, yeah. And to be honest, Chris, it's what brought us through the doors. Me and Curran sat down and shook your hand last year when we were in Reno. It was purely you're the first outfitter we'd seen, you know, pop up that was selling a free range, legitimate free range red stag hunt in New Zealand for what we believe well closer to what we believe is worth. Mm. And the, the trouble is is the free range stuff has always been a a nothing, a throwaway, an add on, uh you don't want to do that. A, they're tiny, small, and you have to work too hard. Mm. And, you know, it's always been a, been swept under the carpet and neglected. And as a result, it's got no value. And unfortunately, when you speak to a lot of particularly American clients, they're completely unaware that we have great free-range hunting in New Zealand. So it was a real um, pleasure to see these stags being sold at what we believe they're worth. And you need to sell them at that level for it to make sense because if you're, you know, trying to sell one for, you know, a thousand bucks and there's not left over, much left over for fuel and food at the end of the day at the, in the McCarthy household, really, <laughs> is there? <laughs> no, Matt, there's not. And look, it's,
1: I mean, yeah, it, no. underselling, our whole free-range industry in New Zealand is undersold and it's something that grates me. Um, Yeah, I don't know. Maybe we can talk a little bit more about that later. But but anyway, yep. These, these hunts are, are sold at a premium. Yeah, they're a premium product,
0: and you sell them. That's the sold, that's the sold point. Out.
1: I've got three hunts left available for next season, which I believe will be sold within the next two weeks. Yeah, all of a sudden we'll be selling 2022. Yeah, and I think we'll be looking at our rates again and going, "This is working."
0: Yep, this is a business.
1: Um, Maybe we need to put the price up again.
0: Yep. And uh, just while we're on that subject, and part of it, I think it's part of the respect that you're showing for the animals and that how seriously you're taking the opportunity to hunt them. Um, as I saw uh, on your Instagram, you've made like a little Otago red stag oh, yeah. tag. Yep. I
1: thought that was really cool. Well, again, just just trying to add points of difference and, and add value. And obviously, last three years I'm <clears throat> in my off-season, I've come, come over and guided in Canada and obviously as a tag system here and it's quite a nice moment when you you sit down and you and you cut your tag with your client, you know. It's yeah. just something I often get a photo of. They're out there with the scalpel just nicking like, the month and the date and the area out of their tag and you know, licenses and tags were applied um by the Otago acclimatisation Society early on when we were hunting we when our ancestors were hunting free range Otago Reds and and back in the day you did have to buy a license and, and, and a tag, and so we're really we're really just coming full circle with yeah. that with that, that with that process. But again, that's something else that no one does, no one else is is bothered to do it. But to me, it's it's
0: it's a part of the deal. It shows value, it shows respect, it shows uh, a dedicated um, intention to stick with a management plan because yeah. you print so eight tags for your season, and that's it. Once they're cut, there's no more. No. So I think it's a really positive message to be not only sending to your clients but sending to, I guess, other outfitters, anyone who's watching and listening. So good on you for that. It's, it's really, really cool to see. Um, if we skip back a couple of steps, when you're staring at a stag through your spotting scope and trying to decide whether he's one of the eight you'll harvest that season, what are you looking for? <sighs> well...
1: <laughs> my assistant guides and even some of my clients will will tell me I'm my own worst enemy sometimes because I'm extremely particular. Yeah. First of all, you've, you know, to, to put the listener in, in our shoes is the first thing you've got to remember is these stags are in a free ranging environment. They're wild. Yeah. They're wild deer. They are in mountainous terrain. Um, you know we do have some vehicle tracks to get around um but at the end of the day, somewhere you've got to balance that um my ideals or my ideas of what trophy's right for this client with can they actually get this trophy are they capable of <laughs> harvesting this trophy yeah yeah but but for me, yeah obviously the like I've said, let's try and uh, let's try and kill the best eight to ten stags. Out there every season, and yeah. I don't like to compromise on that. Yeah. <clears throat> Sometimes you have to, yeah. But yeah, what am I looking for? I'm looking for <laughs> again, one of my other little pet hates is I don't like narrow stags, yeah. Okay, um which has not necessarily got anything to do with age. <laughs> no, exactly. And sometimes the, what what I perceive as narrow and other people perceive as narrow are, are two different things. And, you know, sometimes something around that, you know, 33 inches of outside spread I would call narrow. Yeah. But they were killing trophies like that way back in the day and, and you know, way over 40 inches. And, hey, it's just what it is. It's yeah. a nice wild stag for me i am sort of looking for something with um high thirties over forty in width. Mm-hmm. I tend to like that more bowie style it's of a feel head. back in yeah um but like hunters are different, and you know what I'm looking for, I guess how we sell that hunt is it's based around a minimum six by six twelve point stag minimum, yeah never shoot anything under twelve points, yep. Yeah. Most of these stags will throw a 12-point head as their third head.
0: In their third year. Yep.
1: Yep. Okay. Whether at 10 years old they still have 12 points, some will. Yep. All they're ever going to be is a big stonking 12.
0: Yeah.
1: And that's fine. That's a great trophy as well. But if you can let some of those stags get old... They may you know, they may be fourteen, fifteen, sixteen and then they may just do something a little bit crazy or special. Yeah.
0: Do you know what your average age is?
1: I I mean it's it's an assumption at the moment. They're yeah. not um like um You
0: haven't done the jaws. What's the word
1: I'm looking for? Yeah. I do, I do keep the jaws but yeah, cutting the teeth and and looking, but again you yeah, were just looking for that, you know, that hump. In the back, um, along the backbone there, we're building a picture of body size, antler size. Um, Behaviour. And the thing which is nice about having a, a managed free-range herd is I know, like, look, I know, especially coming into this season, I've seen two stags there, which were, one was a 14 and one was a 13. Now, I saw them both four years ago. Right. Those stags are still both 13s and 14s but the mass the length um, the extra they've put on they were just babies at that stage people would other people would shoot them yeah but i know now next year if we can get those stags it'll be right they'll both be well over 40 inches and they'll both be 320 plus douglas school yeah nice
0: and i I guess that's part of it too like if you're in the hills enough and you're looking at those deer i mean even though there's lots of deer you'll start to learn who's who and be able to track them right through their lives. And if you can see him every year or every second year until he's eight, nine, ten years old, it makes your job a little bit easier, doesn't it? Oh,
1: I mean, look, it's fantastic. And look, it's just that, you know, hunters in New Zealand, unfortunately, just don't they don't get to do that. No. If there's a reasonable head there, well, are going to see another one? Maybe not. So, you know, generally it gets shot. Whereas here, we're, at, we're able to look at deer and go, hmm, he's a good stag. But I wonder. But he's not a great stag. Yeah. If we shoot him now, he'll never be a great stag. Yeah. So I think that's that's what we're about, not shooting good stags, but shooting great stags. Yeah. And a great stag can be a 12-point stag, 40 inches wide, 42 long. That's a great stag. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, it's, um. you know, we're kind of almost having to re-educate people over here, which is... It's a battle. It's a battle, but at the same time, it's it's doable. And and you know what I've been preaching here is you need to think of this red stag hunt we're offering here. You need to think of as a hunt for a bull out free range on private property. In the four hundred score bracket. That's that. That's the equivalent of that's the, red the North stack American elk, red translation exactly. yeah,
0: And then they can they can start to go oh, okay. that... Okay, so we're got to be picky. Yeah, yeah. But, and um, find him, because mm. you know, not every elk is going to hit four hundred. <laughs> no,
1: <laughs> <laughs> very few. Yeah, um, and so. When you say that, that kind of goes, oh, okay, okay, that. We've got a bit of right. a job on our We're not end. talking about a 300 elk here, a 320 elk here. A 400 elk is massive, and these free-range stags we're hunting are massive. Yeah.
0: That's awesome. Okay. Well, I, um, I'd i love to uh, see them one day, but moving on to… I just yeah Sorry, I've got to roll back one. Yeah, man, go for it.
1: But, yeah, the thing which is nice about about what we're doing is is with the management there, it's not a needle in a haystack hunt. Yeah. It's not like you're looking <laughs> with it. You. Like you're going to see, we go out, we'll see four or five great stags on the morning of day one.
0: Yeah. You that know? Must be a nice feeling. And
1: right then, everyone relaxes. Guide relaxes. He knows the animals are there. Client relaxes. He knows the animals are there. He knows... He can have a trophy hunt. We don't just have to kill the first half reasonable stag we see. Yeah, you've got time to get around, get around a massive tract of land, and look at a number of different stags. Sort of, you know, become part of it all. Yeah, ha-
0: have a hunt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's really cool, Chris. I um, I hope like hell that you know not only you and what you're doing, but there are some other, you know, I, I'd i like to see more guys pushing the free-range stuff for what it's worth. And I'm I'm the same as you. I could see the look on your face when you said it really grates me. I feel like New Zealand free-range animals are undervalued. Like the biggest thing that, I mean, uh, to me, a free-range tar in New Zealand is one of the top mountain hunts you can do, period. And I've done a few around the world, yeah. you know, including tar in yep. Nepal and, you know, nearly – I don't know I, I think probably I've done 20 species of sheep 30 species of goat around yep. the world yep. and the New Zealand tar hunt is in the top 5 for sure absolutely and it is the cheapest mountain hunt you can buy next to maybe you can do a Texas I would add for cheaper which grates the living shit out of me and it's because the New Zealand mentality for so long has been control rather than management and the perception of New Zealand game animals has always been pest rather than resource. And that's a massive job to change that. But I think, and based on the conversation I had with Don Hammond yesterday and you know, the conversations that you and I have been having, um, I think that we are in the process of hopefully changing that perception. What are your thoughts on that? Um. Well, yeah, I cut my teeth hunting tar
1: and shimmy. Yeah. Love the mountains, love the mountain hunts. Um, the tar and shimi in New Zealand have become, uh, on a commercial basis anyway, have become a by-product of the estate red stag hunt. Yeah. They're a, a throwaway given, oh, we'll throw one of these in to sell this hunt, you know, yeah. and whatever. So that, I mean, that's kind of the value that outfitters are placing on them, which is scary. Not much. No. Um, you know, lots of and goat hunts in Canada last year, I think they're <clears throat> 12,500 US, the, the people I worked for, and I think that's, you know, that's a fair value for a, a free range tar hunt. Yeah. I think that you know, there's a you know some people out there that think, well, there should be the same value as a North American sheep. Well, I think that's unrealistic. I don't think they're <laughs> no. ever going to get there. Yeah. But I think if anyone hey,
0: says that, the first thing they should do is go sheep hunting.
1: Yeah, yeah, but, <laughs> exactly. But I think you know they 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 do cross over very closely. To, you know, there are a lot of similarities to the mountain goat. So it's a mountain goat, they should be similar in price. And and like you say, there's there's guys lots of guys out there selling them for half that figure that I just mentioned, and it's uh, it's tough um i I don't know what the answer is to that right now, but again, with what we're doing, we've just set our rates we've we've placed value on them we've said this is what it costs to hunt them with us, and we value them, and we're going to show you a good hunt and and um place emphasis on these free range animals
0: yeah so it's a hard thing with a tar because if you compared it to what you have with your otago red stags you can charge what you can charge basically because they can't go down the road and shoot the same quality animal at a different property because it doesn't exist yep that's the (coughs) difference with Mm -hmm. a tar if you front it up and said okay my tar has a tar hunts of $22,000 yep right the client's going to come to you and say okay that's cool, I'm just going to go walk around and visit some other people or shop around a little bit and, oh, should I found a guy that will do a tar hunt in New Zealand for $3,750? What is the difference? Well, actually, there is no difference. They're the same animals, essentially. So as long as people can... There's no value on the animal in New Zealand from a recreational point of view, if they're still viewed as by our government as a, a noxious animal... Yeah then there's no way that you can charge what they're worth because people can always undercut you on public land. So that's that's the conundrum we're in with tar. So people like the idea of tar being worth a lot of money, but at the same time we would have to give up our, in a lot of cases, the ability just to go out and hunt as many as you want, wherever you want. Because management comes with restriction. Yes. And that's a big mental shift for your average Kiwi hunter. Now, the red stag thing, it's a little bit different. You can go and hunt red stags to be blue in your face and I guarantee you're not going to shoot eight twelve plus red stags on public on public land in one season that go over forty inches. It's just you know. Well
1: Matt, if you, you look back, you know, I've researched and that collection of trophies we took in two thousand and nineteen, as far as I'm aware, is the best collection of free range targo stags since nineteen thirty
0: three. Yeah. And there's been a lot of history in the red deer herd since then. And it's so to me that's exciting that that exists now, and you're the first one to do it. I would really love to see it start to happen with not only other red stag herds, but you know some of the other herds that are uniquely different around New Zealand. Sure, but you yeah, the Tara oh, man.
1: They're such a great animal. They're, <laughs> okay. they're, they're so good to hunt. I mean, they're visible. They're up there. The terrain there, and they're not super smart. I mean, that's a fair statement, right? Yeah, I think that's probably a fair statement. They're not super smart, but they're not stupid. I mean, it's... it's And like you say, I mean, I've I've had a wee bit of a look around too and guided sheep hunters and guided goat hunters and other mountain hunts. And again, you, you can... It's the same hunt. It's mm. even better. Yeah. Um, yet they're... Like you say, they... Well, like we all know, I mean, they they don't have a value. It's... Or a real value, you know. And... And <clears throat> just to roll back again to what you're saying, I mean w- um, <clears throat> I mean we are the first predominantly free range based operation in New Zealand ever to to um to um you know have a booth at these shows. Yeah. Or more correctly, to be able to afford to have a booth at these shows. Yeah. Um and that's you know it's an that's an achievement itself. Uh, it's a huge achievement. And like I say, we do um estate hunts as well mm-hmm. we have to um part of the a large part of the market that wants to hunt new zealand that's what they want to do yeah and we're mad if we don't offer that as well um but it's kind of a nice situation we find ourselves in where we can do that as well and to be honest sometimes it's quite nice to do
0: a few of those hunts <laughs> <laughs> pressures off pressures off a bit you know Yeah. yeah give the Give the free-range boys a bit of a time to chill out for a while. It's still a hunt. I mean,
1: you know, some of those areas we're operating in are are 4,000 acres.
0: And, you know, guys have had
1: had dream hunts out there. I mean, they have.
0: Yeah. I was having this conversation with one of the guides, New Zealand guides, yesterday. It's like, it's funny. Once you decide which one of those stags you're trying to hunt in some of those estate areas... They figure it out pretty quickly. They sort of look at you, know, oh, shit, is it my turn? And then suddenly, <laughs> suddenly they become the <laughs> New yeah. Zealand's most cunning and elusive animal because you're trying to get that one. And it's not, yeah. it's not a walk in the park always, but it, as you say, it's, it's, it's certainly a um, more relaxed environment than chasing around on the side of a mountain.
1: Sure, and, and again, I'd, I'd, there's no... Uh you know I don't have any uh, uh, any ill feeling or or disregard for that that type of hunting it, it is it is what it is and um like i say we offer it and we gladly offer it yeah. and we enjoy it um and it's it's a part of why people come to new zealand for for the big red stag Yep. um should they want a different option and you know to hunt a, a free range stag well we can do that too yeah that's
0: really cool chris yeah. right so we'll switch ge- gears slightly mm-hmm. um when I first contacted you about having a chat um, there was a couple of different things I wanted to hit on and we we sort of got talking about the game Animal Council and their five year plan and um, you sort of put your hand up and said oh this is, you know, you've been in contact with the new CEO with a few ideas around the red deer Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, a different um, a, a slightly different perspective on the I guess what would you call it, the herds of special interest would that be a fair... Statement.
1: Yeah, something came about. I was inside having lunch or something, and I'm clearing a few emails, and um, yeah, something came out from uh, the Game Animal Council, and I, I don't know. I must have just been in a certain frame of mind that day. And I thought I'll jump on this and, and 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 say what I think. And look, in New Zealand, we 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 obviously have a lot of red deer. Right, mm-hmm. red deer is kind of what. New Zealand's known for, yet many Kiwi hunters struggle to ever shoot a good trophy. Yeah, And I, by a good trophy, I mean a good trophy, just a representative. I'm not talking about a great trophy, just yeah. a nice stag. For wherever you're hunting. For, for whatever region you're hunting in. Yeah. Um, So the, the red deer kind of all get lumped into the one basket. And, I mean, they shouldn't. I mean, that's not correct. We have... I think, you know, the average Kiwi hunter is is poorly educated about the red deer that we do have in New Zealand. Yeah. If he turned around and went, Actually, well, you know, uh deer that came from Scotland, well there's a Scottish deer. acquire deer further north in Canterbury that it came out of England with some, some German blood as
0: well. Yeah.
1: So we got a kind of a English German deer there. Yeah. We can go and hunt them too. Then we've got, um, you know, the poulter herd further the north, the, the Wairarapa herd. Like, there's, there's a number of different herds, so I can't name them all. But it's kind of like, well, we've actually got red deer from all over the world in New Zealand. Yep. And they're all different deer. Yep. Okay, in, in the fringe country, they have um, mingled, um, obviously, to some extent. But, you know, a lot of the large tracts of that country there, like I said, if you were to DNA test a lot of those deer they would still be largely of that original stock. Yeah. So we've actually got a number of different species of red deer. Yeah. And like I think I was saying to you, it's like the, you know, let, let's take the, the moose, for example. In yeah. North America, you've got your, your Shoros moose, your Canadian moose, your Yukon, Alaska moose. Yeah. Um, recognised by record books. And people want to, in some cases, need to hunt those different species of moose. Yeah.
0: Um, they're all uniquely different hunting experiences. They are in different areas yeah. for different
1: styles of a moose trophy. Yeah. Um, so I think yeah, the, the New Zealand public really needs to to be upskilled and re-educated about what they have at home in terms of red deer, which is we have a lot. Yeah. We really do have a lot. Um, and I think yeah, again, if we could get people out there actually targeting those different herds instead of just trying to shoot a good Kiwi red yeah let's go and try and get you know a good require stack let's try and get a good poulter stack let's try and get a good water wrapper stack and and all of a sudden i think that will bring you know it will move hunters around it will take them into different regions looking for different trophies and again just just sort of adding a bit more value to that red deer resource
0: a, a perceived value of the different deer herds and suddenly it doesn't it completely swings away from being about inches It becomes about being a representation of that Pacific region. Exactly. And the second throw-off of that is the boys in the Wairapa, who probably don't care as much about the Otago stags as you do, Mm. will have their own unique breed or their own unique bloodline that they can be proud of and look after and manage. That's right. And and I...
1: Like, I may be wrong, but the little I know about that herd is I, I don't think there were ever too many that went over 40 inches, you know? No. That's fine. I mean, they are what they are. Maybe a good stag is is, is 12, 10, 12 points, 35 inches in beam length. I don't know. And again, if that's a good trophy for, for that area and, and that, that genetic of deer, well, great. Yeah. It's a good trophy.
0: And as even if we just leave the international side, Way for it and the benefits that that could potentially have. But even that as a Kiwi hunter, you know what? If I went into somebody's man cave or trophy room or garage and they could show me a, a wire wrapper stag, an Otago stag, a Rakaia stag, a, you, know, a, you know, six or seven different mm-hmm. stags from a different places around the country, I would mm-hmm. be very impressed. Like, it's one thing going into someone's garage and they've got, you know, 15, 12 pointers they shot in the same gully, yep. you know, every year running. Yep. Okay, we know you figure that bit out that 's good on you, mm. but if you had a representative quality trophy from different regions in new zealand red deer specific that 's really cool I think so, and like you said
1: you 're walking around that room and and you 're sort of looking at that stag and you 're going oh that's that 's a smaller trophy what 's what 's the story there and and then you can come back to the person asking and go well actually that 's a good trophy for that region yeah um, or a great trophy even and And here's the story behind it.
0: And it's cool enough that they are unique enough that you can look at one once you've educated yourself Mm -hmm. and guess within a certain degree of certainty where it's come from. And I think that's really cool. When you go into a North American's trophy room and they'll have a a mountain mule deer from BC, they'll have a prairie mule deer from... You know, Saskatchewan or Alberta, they'll have a you know, a white tail from B C which is smaller than one you'll get in the prairies, they'll have a black tail from the coast, they'll have a sick black tail from the islands, they'll yep. have, you know, all these different deer species, which you know, tag wise, it's the same tag. But trophy wise, very different. Yeah. Like the difference between a coastal black tail and a mountain mule deer in B C, although it's the same tag, yep. is night and day. Yep. So I think it's a really Cool thing to harp on, and they do it with the elk. Well, we got Roosevelt yeah, elk, exactly. Rocky Mountain elk, Tule elk. Yep. Shit, there's probably two or three others that I can't think of. Yep. And most guys who are elk hunters, enthusiast elk hunters in North America, can tell the difference. Mm-hmm.
1: So I think, yeah, that, that was just something that that popped into my head. And let's not think of our our red deer just as our red deer. Let's let's. Let's reskill skill and re-educate and think of them as they're, d- they're different herds of deer. We have a multitude of different herds, still largely true to those original genetics. Some areas, sure, there's been some farm influence, escaping influence. Yeah, but,
0: but They could but do some pretty unique lady bloodlines too, don't yeah, they? Yeah,
1: that's right. But look, that's still watered down by the... By the main baseline of genetics that are there, and I, you yeah, know, I, I just thought that's, um, you know, now we have a game council. Okay, what's our main game animal in New Zealand? It's a red deer. Yeah. Um. Yeah. What What can we do with that red deer? What What do we need to do? Um. And yeah, well, you know, without getting the opening the can of worms about what's happening on the public land, it's it's just so many acts and laws and things involved in making change that it seems so hard, you know. It really does. But I guess, um, you know, anything's possible. Yeah, and,
0: and the first step is a group of people who are proud of and value a given thing in an area. Mm. So, I mean, look at the Wapiti Foundation, guys. I mean, yeah, that's a unique herd and an isolated herd and all that kind of stuff. But the only reason in the last decade those that wapiti herd is in the state that it's in now, is it was driven by passionate people and they had the community behind them. Yeah. Right? So if you can start drumming up passion and interest and being proud of the, let's say, stick with the red deer in that area, mm-hmm. then that's the first step for local politicians, local doc, local community, thinking, oh, okay, the, this, these are important to... Our community, yep, and that's the first step because right now, yeah, hunting and being able to hunt is important, but we don't hold a lot of value on the resource itself. No. So once you can change that perception, if you could change the <clears throat> perception of the resource itself having more value, then I think other things will start to change as a result. So it's I think that's a really cool idea that you've had around that thing, and one of the suggestions you made. Um, was for the Game Animal Council or somebody to just start a website with identifying the different liberations and bloodlines of deer in New Zealand. Just is that, education.
1: Yeah. Uh, re, well, yeah, education, re-education is, is, is the first point. And like I said to the CEO of the Game Council, look, what does it take? Well, you know, The hardest thing, when you're trying to achieve anything, the hardest thing is to start, right? Yeah. You've got to start. If you don't start, you can talk to you're blue in the face, but if you don't start, you're never going to get to the finish. Yeah. So I said, well, look, what's it take to create four or five pages on the Game Animal Council website? Just starting to re-educate the New Zealand public about the different deer herds that we have. Yeah. And what's that cost? From. It costs someone a little bit of time and a little bit of research. Someone to whack it up on the website. It costs nothing, really.
0: Yeah, what, a, what a great brochure to have at the New Zealand Professional Hunting Guides slash GAC booth at a show like this to re really educate, you know, not only Kiwis, but, you know, did you know that New Zealand has you know no. 16 unique bloodlines of deer in New Zealand? Yeah. You know, whatever it is, I've got no idea. And yeah. I'm genuinely interested to find that out, to read that. I mean, if that was on the GAC website, I would read it from start to finish. Yeah. And to probably take notes. <laughs>
1: yeah, well, I think a lot of people would. I think it's a great idea, and I hope they... Um, take on board um, take yeah. on board I mean yeah. it's not advice it just take on board suggestion, the idea yeah. suggestion yeah.
0: and I mean if anyone's listening out there and <coughs> you know of any good resources or books or I don't know almanacs of liberations and all that kind of stuff I'm sure it's existed I haven't put any time and effort into looking yet but if anyone has any suggestions I would love to have them because it's something that I think that um, you know I'd be genuinely interested in learning a little bit about well, a lot about, it, actually.
1: I think a lot of people would. Yeah. I really do. Oh, Yep. It's, yeah. uh, like I say, let's make a start. Yeah,
0: let's do it. <laughs> yeah. um, right, we're getting a little bit close to D-Day, but just real quickly, mm-hmm. can you just give me a rundown on the New Zealand Professional Hunting Guides Association and sort of how they fit in and what they do? It doesn't need to be detailed, but people listening to this have probably heard to us referred to it a couple of times. So I just want a real brief summary of what um, the function of that organisation is.
1: Okay, sure. Without any notes in front of me, I think the organisation was founded in 81. Yep. Uh, Again, really just to bring uh, uh, professionalism to the New Zealand guided hunting industry. Yep. Bring everyone together, get everyone around the table and have a voice. Um, so I think they might have started I could be wrong But I think it may have started With 26 founding members mm-hmm. Don't quote me I think right now We're up to Around about 120 Yep Which would make up uh, I think about 70% Of the outfitters in New Zealand yep. 60 to 70% anyway um, A great Organisation mm-hmm. I think for some of the smaller free range guys, and I know initially when I was getting into business, it was like, oh, you, you know, you don't want
0: to, you don't want to join them. They're all a bunch of yada yada, you know. Because there's a training attached to it too, isn't there? Yes,
1: there's there? a five day professional hunter academy that every new applicant must complete and pass before they can become members. Mm-hmm. I mean, again, I was in, involved right from uh, the beginning with this as well. About well, you know, how do we do this? Do we? Um, do we outsource this part of it and this part of it and this part of it? And then we thought, no, look, it needs to be ours. We need to own this. We are the professional hunters in New Zealand. We know what we need to teach these people. Yeah. You know, who knows it better than we do? Yeah. So currently, uh, our, our current uh, president, James Cagney, is, is also the um, uh, coordinator and chief instructor of our Professional Hunter Academy. Yeah. Great guy. Wealth of knowledge. Delivers an exceptional product. Um, I've sat in on 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 some of the lessons and practical lessons, and it's just like this is this is so good, and it really is. Yep. So yeah, it's that's been a major achievement uh, by our executive in recent years to to get that up and running now to a point where I think I think uh, just talking with Simon Gill, our membership officer, that now we're over fifty percent of our membership have now been through that Professional Hunter Academy. Right. So yep, that, that's a big tick there. Um you know, what do we do? I mean, we are we, we we represent the professional owners of New Zealand. I mean there's some amazing knowledge, talent on that executive committee. Yep. Some good people who genuinely uh want and are able to give their time to the course. Yep. Um, you know, there's no I think that's important. I mean, people are there and they're, okay, they're elected, but they're there because they want to be there. Yeah. Really good, really good um, group of guys and girls there at the moment. Getting a lot done. Um,
0: Good example would be as GAC moved towards um, finding a constant source of revenue stream. Yeah. So... Game Animal Council. If you haven't listened to it yet, listen to the podcast with Don Hammond. He gives a really elegant and concise definition of what the Game Animal Council is, why it's important to New Zealand hunters—recreational, professional, and commercial—and how their how it's structured. And one of the pillars of their um, funding is coming from the professional side of the hunting. Re- hunting industry in New Zealand, or hunting in New Zealand? Yes. And the New Zealand Professional Guides Association were the ones who sat down at a table with GAC and negotiated the, what do we call it, the export levy or the export tag for New Zealand game trophies. Is that a fair summary? You know, I look, just in a nutshell, I think
1: the GAC looked to the guided hunting industry as the people bringing in the money, right? Yeah. So, yeah, let's um, levy this 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 side of the hunting uh, to get the GAC off the ground. Yeah. Initially, we rebuked. We said, no, you want too much. Who else is paying? Hang on, we're going to be the only revenue stream here. We're not sure we want this. Yep. Two or three uh, three years, I think, roll by. Uh, especially in New Zealand last year uh, A couple of major issues Yeah, Firearms related um, Also, um, you know, with the current Minister of Conservation Tire related, let's just say on? that <laughs> Tire related, yep GAC really stood up um, Grew a backbone and delivered the goods Yep So we thought, okay, all right now we can see some value here, yep. so we've said all right they come back to us with the the export levy proposal again to see whether we would accept it to help get this council off the ground yep. we talked about it at length, and we thought, okay we you know we as the committee of the professional Hunters Association, we think this is a good idea yeah we've had a, we've had a look at this, and we you know we think the timing is right now. Yeah. beforehand we thought no not ready so yeah we took took the motion to our membership at our AGM to um to basically um, uh, what would we say to to you know let's support this levy yeah let's support the the um construction of the game animal council let's let's get it up and running yeah so basically, um, yeah, I guess yeah, our clients will, will come over, do their hunt, <clears throat> and for every trophy they export uh, back home, they will pay a fee of $90. Yep. Approximately 4,500 trophies leaving the country each year. That's the numbers at the moment anyway. Mm-hmm. $90, 405,000.
0: Yeah. Which is you yeah. know, a good start towards getting that Game Animal Council, which to stress to everybody is good for... New Zealand Hunters, at least that's the intention. Um, Yep. And that export fee, that trophy levy, is that will be, as far as I understand, it's in front of um, the Minister currently to get signed off, or has it been signed off? I'm not too sure. I can't update you on that, yep. Regardless, we'll have a result here in the next couple of weeks, but it also covers any other self-guided or DIY hunter leaving yes. the country with a trophy outside of the professional guiding yes, it does. side of things too, which yep. I think is really important. It does. So, yeah, that, uh, and
1: it'll also be the, yeah, I mean, you're licensed to export. Yep. Um, massive change of thinking, massive step forward. I mean, we really didn't have to support this, you know, the no. professional hunting industry. So... You know, a lot of our operations are based on private property. Yeah, doing their own thing really, where the GAC will have very little influence, yep. if none. Yeah. So we're basically, you know, the, the professional hunters of New Zealand are, are helping the recreational hunters of New Zealand
0: here, to be yep. honest. Yep. And yeah, and it's it's a great move because one of the things that I I think the Tarthing in particular highlighted that. We can't really be afforded, you know, we need to help each other out as hunters, whether you're a warro guy, whether you're a professional hunting guide, whether you're a, you know, um, recreational hunter. Like, we can't really afford to have any bandwidth wasted squabbling amongst ourselves. And I think the New Zealand professional guides have taken a pretty noble first step Mm -hmm. in the right direction. And I think that export tag is the first step of what we're talking about. That animal now has a value, albeit a a ninety dollar value. Yep. But it's a value; it's worth something. Yep. Yeah, so, think, oh sorry. Carry yeah. On. So, guys that are, you know, an Aussie guy that's got ten ten inch tar stuffed in his backpack on the way home <laughs> yeah. is going to think a little bit about trying to cross the border with ten, right? So, at, the, at that point, he might think about shooting ten because there's a value to them. Yep. It's not just a free thing that you can take for free anymore. If you want to take it home you've got to pay for it. I mean there's some
1: I mean and there's some other ways that the GOC can can generate revenue that already exists. Like a lot of the ballots, the, the tar ballots, the, the Whoppity ballots. I mean I was reading the other day, I mean back to Otago Stags again. Even a hundred years ago the people managing those deer were smart enough to charge international hunters a greater fee to hunt them than them kiwi hunters. Yeah, no kidding. Why can't we do that now? Yes. And I'm not talking about a, a ridiculous amount more, but hey, look, <laughs> can you not work that one out? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, like, you know, a ballot fee of 100 bucks for a kiwi hunter maybe, and maybe it's 400 for an international hunter. Exactly. Or even a, I mean, it a works. dog permit. It works here out. in North America, doesn't it? It That's how it works. Yeah, and if it,
0: yeah, it, it seems so simple, but I, I think then coming back to that's why GAC is important because yep. they're the ones that have to get all these people in a room Yeah. doc, hunters, recreational hunters, and be the one that brings people to the table that traditionally may have not seen eye to eye and broker these deals. And I think you guys, as professional guides, have taken the first step. You know, just said, you know what, we'll take one for the team here and get the momentum going because that's what it needed. Otherwise, GAC was going to stall out with no funding, and we're one anti-conservation minister away from it being disbanded. Yep. And I honestly believe that if we lose this opportunity we have with Game Animal Council now, you and I will not see in our lifetime another opportunity.
1: We won't, and that was, you know, that was something that uh, Don him and stressed, um, and he's he's absolutely correct. We'll not get another opportunity. The Game Animal Council Act has been watered down. It's not entirely what we wanted, but it is something. Yeah. Um, so we can either hold this ball and mould it and sculpt it and try and turn it into what we need, or we can drop it and let it fall through the other side of the earth and it's gone into space forever. Yeah. So, like I said, yeah, or like you've just said, we've, we've given it a kickstart and I, I really hope it gains momentum. Yeah.
0: Well, from on behalf of recreational hunters, I hope that... Uh you know, people will see the value in that. And I think it, you know, initially it'll go unnoticed. I think 10 years from now, hopefully, we'll look back and people will say, you know what, that was, you know, the right move, a good move, and we owe the professional side of things a, you know, a, a beer next time <laughs> we see him in the pub, you know. And it's like we should be all helping us at each other out as hunters. It's that simple. I've seen it too many times internationally that, yeah, you know, British Columbia is a great example of the professional industry arguing. And at loggerheads all the time with the recreational and just recreational side of hunting, yep. and all the meantime the people who are that they should really be concentrating on are taking more and more away from them. Um, so there's some lessons to be learnt there. But anyway, it's starting to get busy. Yeah. You've well, got,
1: what are we now? We're doors open at nine eight yeah, seventeen. I've got to well, get, get in. You got another? If you got anything else, we can maybe. Cover seven I'll, cons- minutes, I'll consult I consult my notes here Chris eight
0: thirty yeah. i think we're um we've covered most of the things I wanted to chat to you about Is there anything that um you'd like to get off of your chest? Uh, not really Matt I just um
1: yeah, just no looking back at at what, at what you're doing here um great principle you know um great way of getting information out to the public in the world really, yeah, and no. so I just wish you all the best with that and I appreciate it. Stick with it, and, um, you know, I know you've already had some big names and um, some little fellas like me. But <laughs> <laughs> um, Yeah, no, no, great idea. And, I appreciate uh,
0: it. And we are trying, and I, I genuinely, you know, at this point, and I probably haven't said it enough and haven't done it enough, I'd like to thank anyone that is listening for your support. Like, this podcast is increasing in listenership. We have a, a, a really well-focused core group of Kiwi listeners who are hunters Um, but the more people who listen and the more people I can show are listening the more traction this podcast will get so if you've got a mate that sits on a tractor all day and is a little bit slow with his technology help him out and get the podcast on his phone so he can listen to it and spread it around because again the more numbers we can show the more people I can get on this podcast. It's been really nice to be able to show some of our numbers to people lately and show it's worth them sitting down with me or Corinne for an hour to talk. And also, if we get more numbers, it means we can drum up more support, which will get more content for you guys. So, um, thank yep. you to everybody who is already listening and please pass it on, share it. You know, we do this out of our own pocket with our own time, but we genuinely believe it's a great. Platform to get information and education out there about New Zealand hunting and hunting around the world. No doubt about it, and I think you
1: know when you approached me, Matt. I I was aware of um, the educated hunter. Um, I hadn't paid it enough attention, but you know I obviously went back, researched, and listened to some of your podcasts, and I thought, okay, this guy is no fool; he's intelligent. Um, what he's current, doing, current obviously It's good. <laughs> <laughs> and and seriously now, um, yeah, I mean, I mean, I'll be listening to everyone from uh, from now on. And then, um,
0: yeah, like I could say all, all the best it. continuing with it. Yeah, mate, appreciate that. Thanks for taking the time. Right, cool. you get to work, sell some hunts. G'day, thanks for listening to the Educated Hunter podcast. There are a number of ways you can connect with myself, Matthew Gibson, or my partner in crime, Curran Island at the Educated Hunter. And the hub all of this is our website, theeducatedhunter.com. Our Instagram page is at theeducatedhunter. Our website also has a spot where you can sign up for our newsletter that comes once every two weeks and is full of relevant information about hunting in New Zealand and around the world. And lastly, you can search out any of the episodes that we've done in the past and find the show notes on that episode. Other than that, thanks very much for listening and I hope you're having a good day wherever you are. And your next hunting adventure is not too far away.